0: So, there's some news just in uh, that I was reading, Matt Ray, that I need to get your commentary on since you're in Australia. <laughs> Apparently, in Australia, if you want to get a piece of toast with, I'm guessing it's going to be a third of an avocado spread on it, it's going to run you $19. Now,
1: in the, the write up that
0: I read, it was not covered if these were Australian dollars, in which case I think that's 75 cents US. But, you know, or if it's American. But I, I, I just, you know, it, don't you have avocados over there? Like We do. Yeah. We do. I mean, you must have like, uh, it's like a tropical area, right? Don't you have like mountains of them like in Brazil? Just like, you just can't, you know, av- aren't avocados just like deer? Like you just can't get rid of them fast enough?
1: Uh, Something like that. But mm-hmm. but you got to remember, like, uh, first of all, um, we don't get our avocados from Brazil. Um, oh, that's what I'm saying. We... <laughs> they got to be
0: over there regionally, right? Like from up in yeah, up yeah. in Indochina or whatever they call so, it nowadays?
1: So, so, so as as we say here here in in Australia, all our fruits and veg, veg veggies, Yeah, veggies. Are, uh, I love that. Veggies are with one G are uh, are seasonal. So yeah, well, things get expensive when they're off season because shipping anything down here is uh, crazy expensive. <sighs> Looking forward to Amazon. Uh, um, what, but what but a, what also... a
0: bullshit way to live if you can't have all fruits <laughs> all times of the year. That's just tragic. Wait, is this is this because we uh, canceled that? Uh, what was it the, the the pack tarp or whatever? Some sort of Pacific trading thing. Is this uh, is this Trump's fault again?
1: <laughs> uh, probably. This probably goes to you know back to uh, him having such a terrible call with Australia, ruining the, the avo industry, and uh, uh-huh. you know. uh,
0: Well, let me let me then apologize on behalf of all my fellow Americans. I'm sorry, avocados are so
1: expensive. You should uh, you should enjoy their bounty.
2: You but know, they are I, I very very noticed, good.
1: Yes, uh, I I haven't noticed this nineteen dollars uh, per per smashed apple sandwich. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm not shopping at uh, enough uh, fancy places. Well, but...
0: according to the news source I had, that is because one, you are too old, and two, you own a house already. Now. Uh, <laughs> I, oh yeah. That's yeah. that's the way it
1: that, goes. That's true. That's true. Uh I, and somewhere I saw that I would need to buy something like 34,000 smashed avocado sandwiches to make a, a down payment on a house. Exactly. Um,
0: also, I guess I guess you don't have an iPhone, do you? Uh. Uh-uh. So you must have health insurance. I mean, there there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, actually, I think the uh, the difference in the, the price of, of an iPhone in Australia versus the U.S. just about covers my monthly insurance payment. Mm, yeah, so, it's rough. That's good.
0: Yeah, we you know I have until Wednesday before I have to re-sign up with my health insurance. It's long story, but about, you know it's part of part of pivotal being uh, you know owned by Dell Technology and no longer EMC and all this stuff. We got uh, we're going to use
1: Cigna. You know anything about Cigna? Mm. Uh, well, you know, I've tried all the insurance companies out there and they're all pretty poor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see
0: what it's like with this experience. My, my, uh, I forget if I shared this publicly. I probably didn't because, uh, while I would like to share most everything publicly, like this seems like the kind of thing I, I would think on behalf of the other three members of my family, but, like, last time I signed up for it, I think it was a Blue Cross Blue Shield, I did an analysis and a spreadsheet. And and I think if, long-term listeners will know that it turned out to be better to have an HSA. There's probably some edge cases where it doesn't, but, like, the difference is, like, basically for an HSA, I pay, I think, $64 a month in premiums. And then a, uh, a, a PPO, which is basically, like, the, the Cadillac-y kind mm-hmm. of thing, is, like, $350 a month in premiums. So, like... And then you get a thousand dollar like thing for your account and just like you just win automatically. Like the difference is so big. Now, what I was going to say, though, I think the key way that health insurance companies could differentiate themselves as far as I'm concerned is the meantime to find the giant PDF that actually says everything Uh, like it usually takes. I'm guessing around two hours to find like the actual PDF for the plan you have that says what's actually covered, and it's very obscure. It's like the way we do most legislation in, in, in this country. You've got to sign up for the health care plan to actually find out what's in it uh, nowadays, which <laughs> really was a very oddly uh, socially political episode at the beginning, which really instills the confidence in us ke- keeping to have a privatized health insurance company. I think they are doing, aside from the ones that are pivotal customers who are doing a great job, all the other ones are just doing a phenomenal job with with the health insurance company, really like them uh, What what was it that Bush Jr. said about the, that FEMA guy? Great job. What's your name, Comey? <laughs> do, 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 do a, do a heck of a job there, heck,
1: Comey.
0: Heck of a job, Comey. <laughs> That's right.
2: No brownie. <laughs> What's his name? It was brownie. Heck of a job, yeah, brownie. It
1: was brownie. I yeah. like uh, yeah, yeah. to call me reference
2: um Well, more importantly, Cote, my... did you did you stay with the HSA or did you revisit? Uh, whole I I whole? have
0: until Wednesday to do That's it. like
2: an architectural decision. You're revisiting. Oh my God. Uh, It's like it's like oh my gosh, we're gonna re re-architect the whole Fun healthcare. I'll,
0: I'll tell I'll tell you what I'll tell you what. People often ask me when it's good to do waterfall. When you're selecting your health insurance, <laughs> waterfall that shit all the way down. There ain't no agile in health insurance. Yeah. Right? So the
2: first step well, is to write down. All major injuries and diseases you're going to get, uh-huh. and when you're going to get them, sure. plot that out, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, it works well
0: for insurance. Yeah, you need to know maximum <laughs> amount of analysis and data before selecting insurance, or you get ripped off. That's basically <laughs> yeah. the trade-off. Is like if you just want to pay through the nose for a bunch of stuff that you you end up helping shore up. I mean, actually, maybe for us, we have a lot of health insurance companies, so it might be a good idea for me just to pay the the, the maximum amount. Um, but. Anyways, you got to figure out the analysis because you'll pay a lot of money uh, uh, if you don't. So, uh, yeah, uh, the major analysis that I have to do by Wednesday is I have to find that PDF. And essentially, unless there's some hidden payments in there I don't know about, like, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because I did a pretty thorough analysis last time. But I need to make sure it's basically the same, which I'm guessing it will be because it's a highly regulated, basically, commodity business. Um then it'll be HSA, which just it, just,
1: it Cote, just makes sense. Do you own a fax machine?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I own a uh, a a multi multi printer thing. So technically, yes, but not really.
1: I own a fax machine because I had an HSA.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: They rejected almost everything and required extra paperwork for everything. Yeah, I've filed
0: I, I filed for an HSA reimbursement once with Optum something and it worked out fine, but I might, this might yeah. get more complicated. We'll, we'll have to say, I have actually used the credit card and not
2: had any problems so far. So I'm, I'm hoping I would
1: use the, maintain that. They would take the credit card and then they would come back and reject the payments and ask for more uh, documentation. Mm-hmm. That, that was my experience. Of course, this is a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, like fax machines, but yeah, uh, Uh, And I'm still kind of experiencing that here with my uh, my private insurance in Australia. So, yeah, I
0: think I think I think just to add some context to uh, to more uh, contemporary stuff, I think this is what the hillbillies who run our country like to call freedom. You have the freedom to choose how you would like to file to get your money. Uh, from the insurance company. I Max.
2: will say, though, I think, Matt, right, you're you're hitting on... This is sort of like a, a second level of analysis that you want to look at for HSAs and for, like, child care-dependent reimbursement is the actual company that administers the reimbursement because there's always, like, they've outsourced that, right? So yeah. depending on that company and, like, are they easy to work with? Do you have to have a fax machine? And are they, if you will, more lenient or more, or more strict on, like you know, the various things you have to, because I do think, because I, I have the similar problem. HSA I have nothing but praise for it, but child care dependent, I am just constantly trying to get the right receipt with the right date. And it just, you know, I, and I do feel like in this case, it's a racket. They just reject everything. And it's yeah, like, totally. you just have to persist. Right. And then eventually, They'll be like, this guy's, all right, pay him, right? And then, all of right. course, like, and you always feel like they are scrutinized, the the more expensive ones, a lot more than, like, you know, whatever, the one-day child care. So I agree. So I think that would be another level of your matrix, to It would be, like, not only show me the plan, show me who's administering it and, like, how hard they are on uh, – it would be great for them to show, like, rejection rate of mm-hmm. claim or something like that. Well, they,
1: they, they probably all outsourced it to a company that, you know, change business models from being debt collection or something. I mean, they are. Yes, that's why it does feel like they are very related. Oh, my God.
0: I mean, I think I think I think to channel more of of the, uh, the thought lording we have in the government going on, if there's anyone that we can trust to make sure we are paid money, it is private industry. I think uh, I think that's the kind of system that we, you know, We shouldn't really put regulations in place that sort of require an openness or reporting on these kind of things. Why? Why would you want that? That sounds ridiculous and onerous. What that's going to do is kill innovation. And I don't know if you've seen the man in the high castle, but it's not pretty, right? That's what's going to happen. Lots of ash falling from the sky. So you just you don't want that world. You want freedom.
1: (laughs) The freedom to not have your own money. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Now that we, we now that we've drained that swamp, um, let's get on to some like, you know, news or something.
2: Real news.
0: Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I don't like health insurance. That's uh that's not good. <laughs> I don't like it. So uh on, on more more bright news, our our buddy uh, Donnie Donny he he went to go work over on not only the vendor side from being an analyst. I mean not only, but not the vendor side, but the actual enterprise side. Over at Carlson Wagonit or Wagonlit. I don't know. But uh, they apparently are a huge travel company. I've only experienced them back when I was an analyst, and people were nice enough to pay for my travel and stuff, and I would book it through Carson Wagonlit. Lit. And, uh, you know, uh, as Matt Ray was joking, I, I made some overly extensive show notes. But I got trapped in a uh, a little history of who Wagonlit is and everything. And, and I don't know. It looks like Donnie will be having fun there, helping. Uh, he has something that is linked up linked up is that what it is linkedin profile
1: <laughs> that's
0: that's basically like you know they're trying to do the whole uh, digital transformation thing how did he word it uh become a software company focused on travel rather than a travel agency with some mm. apps which sounds fine yeah. i mean as 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 i'm as i'm fond of saying that sounds great as long as i still get pizza in the box you can call yourself whatever you want right like uh that and as long as people get from point a to point b software company travel company whatever but the sentiment is uh is nice now just to, i don't want to go on and on about it but like if you're into this kind of stuff the the uh the acquisition history of, of the carlson group which owns as you might guess carlson Wagonlit travel is interesting they started off they bought a uh they, they started off doing these gold point things which is some sort of green stamp competitor and then and then uh they bought the first Radisson, I think, in, in Minnes somewhere in Minnesota, Minneapolis from like a French person. And then they owned a bunch of uh, hotels and they owned TGI Friday and some other thing, which they sold off in 2014. And then this year some Chinese group bought all the hotels hotel stuff. So I think basically they're uh, Carlson Wagon lit and maybe something else. So there you go. Big old yeah. transformation. You got your uh you got your cheap pools of global capital scurrying around. Your uh, your TGI Fridays, it's probably like a story of a lot of business out there.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a lost William Gibson novel mm-hmm. based in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Li- living so, living in I, a
0: house I, on a bridge made of epoxy.
1: But I think, Coach
2: A, <laughs> hey, you, you must have some insight here because this is unusual. Like You see a lot of uh, analysts go to software vendors, right, and vice versa. There's a little revolving door action between the two. But in this case, he, he's made the leap really to – to the delivery side, right? Yeah. And, and right. So, like what what will we what would you predict? As I'm reading some of his tweets that you've included in, in our show notes, like what will be his like? So, in like a year from now, of, of him like you know being on the implementation side, having come from a analyst background for several years, like what will he say? What what will his frustrations be? Mm.
0: Well, you know, i I've never worked at a normal a non tech company. Is that true? Yeah, I've never worked at a non tech company. Uh, so I'm kind of making up some of this. But in my experience working uh, at non-analyst jobs and stuff and talking with a lot of tech companies, I think the following one, as as he uh, – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Ray just made a joke about at an old startup we worked at, which lasted uh, – which is basically specialized in buying large quantities of Mr. Brown. Or <laughs> but, Koji, didn't
2: you work at – what's the um... – What's the banking software company?
0: Yeah, Funds uh, Express.
2: I, I mean, I mean, I think I, that's that was funds It's very similar. I mean, that was more. Uh, While well, it is definitely software, that's right? That's sort true. Of like it was like helping, you know, like like the name implies, right? Like I, I, money. I, I think banks. that
0: that's a good pull, and also our customers were Texas or Tola, as the kids would say, uh, um, Louisiana and Oklahoma and Texas and whatever the other one is. Uh, Arkansas uh, community banks, which are not exactly the most technically savvy people, I think. I think uh, so. That was an interesting exposure. Anyways, my prediction. He already tweeted the thing about like I don't like it when enterprise software vendors don't put pricing on their page. Which Donny's a smart guy. He knows that that was funny. Like it's not like unexpected. Uh, but right. that is that is sort of the first rung of things. And and I think he'll get a fun. Uh, uh, and by fun, I mean uh, dark and also interesting. An educational view into how procurement works at a large company. I think that's something that I only vaguely know from having worked at Dell when I, we were doing pro, port. How do you say it? Procurement. Um, procurement. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's fun. And then there's also, um, I think I think what's interesting about enterprise. I'm sure he'll also encounter the uh, uh, weird thing where large companies, people in them can just be behind the times. Which, which most people would know that, but experience it firsthand is, yeah, I I, I don't really, I don't really like have as, as, as judgy as I usually am. I don't really judge the individuals who are behind the times uh, so much as something else. That's like, how does this happen that they're behind the times?
1: You, you get into a job and, you know, you solve the problems you have at hand, you, you know, you, you your day in, day out is, you know, you've got a lot of things that need to be fixed and in your your job and, you know, meanwhile the crazy world goes on around you. Um, you know, I think it sounds like a fun gig. Yeah. And you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna spend, you know, six six months getting acclimated. Yeah. And then uh, you know, in in about a year or so there'll be some sort of successful outcome. You know, they release something faster than they ever had before, and everyone got excited, and then uh Donnie can go back on the speaker circuit hey. as you know, the the customer testimonial.
0: I I think yeah. I think there's two more things I would add in. One of them is uh and and I guess when I was at Dell, the thing I was working at there was sort of traditional work, if you will. But like the interesting perspective I got at Dell working with uh, um, and the corporate strategy and M&A group was uh, this appreciation for uncool businesses. <laughs> and and uh, to, as, as I like to do so much, I'll tell an anecdote to make that point, which is I was I was talking with uh, one of the corp dev people who uh, I remember. He had a pretty sweet red Porsche uh, and always dressed very nicely. Um, and I was, I think it was maybe like micro focus or one of the, I always think of micro focus in that other company. That's kind of like an old fogey company. And I was, I was making fun of them and he was like, what are you talking about? Have you seen the cash flow at that company? That is an awesome business. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was right from that perspective. If you looked at it from a purely, um, sort of like, option forward-looking thinking valuation cash flow financial basis it is it is and still is still i think maybe even after the hp thing it's a it's a good business so i think if you work at a regular company that doesn't have software margins you start to be interested in a new set of financial things and then second uh and i kind of experienced the reverse of this but i think it would be interesting so as i'm as i like to say when you're an analyst um People, even on, on the buy, no one really tells you the truth when you're an analyst. Like, vendors are basically always hustling you, even if you're really good friends with them and stuff like that. But they're they're definitely, like, trying to get you to like them or at least appreciate their position on things, right? Um, right. And, and then even on the buy side, when you're an analyst, like, they're still a little leery of the press side of things. And they don't exactly tell you everything. They don't open the kimono, uh, if you will. I have a feeling that's like a bad metaphor that we should stop using, but whatever. Uh, Maybe it's like a a dude opening a kimono and then we'll be all Oh, no. Nobody (laughs) wants that. But anyways, uh, but what I've noticed as a vendor is when you go in to like try to hustle an enterprise, they tell you everything. They're basically just like, fuck. Help us. Yeah, they're just like, let me tell you, first of all, like, you know, uh, we may like you or we may not like you, and maybe we just wanted to get the free sandwiches from Jimmy John's that, that you're bringing, but we'll tell you anything just because like, yep. you're a vendor and what the fuck do we care, right? Like, like, yeah, And yeah. so I think, I think from that perspective, the opposite of that would be seeing all of the various vendors and how they pitch and what they talk about and who they send. And I think especially well, as an analyst, it would be interesting, and I think for Adani it would be interesting to see the the way that vendors actually comport themselves the tone and what they talk about when they're going out and uh and selling to people and supporting and, them, more and, importantly and, and,
1: yeah and and that's what i'm saying I, I think i think donnie's in you know donnie i think i think anyone who like kind of bounces between the different you know sides if you will um it's, it's interesting to see like before my current job, I never really worked directly in sales. And so now I'm kind of seeing what you, what you're saying about, uh, um, you know, you walk into an enterprise and they're like, here's our laundry, you know, here's all the things that's going on. Here's what's going wrong. Uh, and then, you know, they're kind of like, eh, could you help us maybe help us please. And, and then, you know, the, we, we, before the show, we, we talked a little bit about, about the challenger sales model, but that's what kind of I, I don't know if this is a new thing, but it seems like like enterprises are are some of them are asking more for more guidance as opposed to like you know trying to solve problems for themselves. You know, I, I think the the enterprise software landscape is changing to be a bit more you know as it becomes more subscription based. Um, more uh, the the relationship between um, the the buyers and the sellers becomes more like a partnership, and yeah, you know, we we actually uh, we had a deal that we we won over here in APAC recently where you know we won because we told them we weren't going to sell them software. <laughs> you know, we said like, well, we could come in and pitch you a bunch of software, but that's not going to solve your problems. You guys have bigger problems, right? And then they were like, know yeah, wait, what? Yeah, you know, but uh, I don't know. I I think I, I think it is a, a fun exercise uh, that Donnie's in for. My my real question is like I don't actually know this. I've anecdotally heard that you know working for a vendor pays better than working for um, most enterprises. Is that true? Uh,
0: working for <laughs> I, I think I think I think in general. Well, this is all anecdote on my part. I'm sure we could go like look at Glassdoor or some shit but like yes i think that's generally true and um now that said you if you see his linkedin he's a vp and kind mm-hmm. of knowing 451 salaries as i do and coincidentally red monk salaries our career paths have finally uh forked off so you know i'm i'm, I'm glad to see that we're both going on our own career paths <laughs> uh but uh yeah i would expect being a vp at a at a At a company like that, plus the cost of living in Minnesota, like, is a substantial uh, raise. Plus, he probably doesn't have to travel that much, and uh, I bet they have a matching 401k, which when I was at 451, they didn't, and on and on and on. Now, you know, he might have to use a Windows machine, but but maybe part of that transformation (laughs) is that they're going to use Macs. But no,
1: that is going to transform them to, to Gentoo.
0: Ooh, Gentoo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and there's one more thing that I experienced, uh, which is, doesn't matter if you're an enterprise or a vendor, but going away from an analyst thing is it's actually really fun to get access to all the other analyst shops and, and see, what, see what they're doing. I mean, I think, uh, yeah. you know, I'm a bit snooty about it being the person I am, an analyst and someone who covers tech, but man, you're just like, why are we paying these people? Right. And it's not so much why are we paying them, but why are we paying them this much? Right. And and again, right, my right. having having grown up at Red Monk, my floor, this is going to sound insulting, but my floor is kind of low uh, because they they could charge, I think, an appropriate amount of money because their overhead was so small um, versus like a big firm and everything. But, man, you pay analyst groups a lot of money to basically be like, uh, I don't know, like a Tech crunch that uses numbers, like it's it's uh, it's it's really <laughs> odd. Well, this is but you're you're sort of exposing the
2: uh, you know the the uh, dichotomy of the analyst things. Like the analysts want to believe it's all about the research, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they're being paid, and there's these great research, and everyone's reading the research, and it's really important. But the truth is, right? The vendors are paying for the access. And the ability to influence and like to do webinars. So, you know, it's always funny, like, especially when you meet, like, either analysts that have been at it for a really long time or analysts that have come from, like, being a, um, like, an ops person, right? And they're like, they just, they're just so focused on the research. And it's like, well, you know, that's nice. I'm glad you wrote that paper. Like, the Burton Group was the classic. They would. Turn out stuff that was routinely fifty to a hundred pages long, yeah. and it was like there's nobody on the vendor side reading this entire thing. It's yeah, just yeah. you know at all. It's more about like giving giving getting access and you know trying to influence the, them to
0: yeah. Those, you know, those when, when I out. when I get those reports, those go straight into a little Dropbox folder mm-hmm. I call to read.
1: Uh, see, see, I, I open them and and I hit the uh, command F and look for the name of my company. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, no, I, I think, I think, I, th- I think. You know, to temper the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, I'm, 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 I'm parenthetically thinking a whole other dialogue in my head that I'm having to cut off. But to to temper the 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 overly zealous dour stuff I was saying, I think. I think the thing with big analyst groups is they're attempting to do the same thing that cable bundling does, right? So the problem with cable bundling, uh, well, the perception of the problem uh, is that I'm paying for all this stuff that I don't want. Why do I need 500 channels when all I want to do is watch these three shows, right? But in the cable world, the opposite of that is like, well, if you kind of do the math on actually paying for all this stuff a la carte, cable is actually more or less a good deal, right? They have to bundle all this stuff. Uh, and so with an analyst thing, the problem is they're bundling all this research, which is to say you get a whole bunch of stuff you don't actually want, uh, and, but you pay a lot more than your monthly cable bill for it, (laughs) right? So, so the pricing is a ton of money. Now, I guess before we go into the rest of the stuff, maybe there's one other thing that I don't appreciate, which is, um, you can't, if you don't, exactly know what you should be doing as an it buyer you can't really go easily out into onto the public internet and figure this stuff out on your own and so if yeah. you had some analysts who basically were kind of like your sherpas of stuff you would need to do which is more consulting but you could do it from the pdfs i mean i, I guess that would be useful right like but again to me it comes down to like uh the traditional analyst business is way over serving what they're doing, um, and I don't know. It, it's yeah, only because there's they, kind they, of a hegemony in place that, like, that 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 happens. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something's weird.
1: I, I'm, undoubtedly, there are people who do read all those documents um, and, and 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 whatnot, but I think they are better served by smaller, you know, smaller boutique uh, vendors usually, and you see that on the consulting side. And you know uh, the the consulting companies, you know they, they have the the big uh, the big. I, I don't want to start naming names to offend people, but you know, but what what we kind of see is you know the ones who are succeeding right now are either you know they're huge and they've got those long term uh, contracts locked in, or the small ones who are just taking the business away from you know the the big players, the middle tiers, because they can be more responsive to the customer. Um, but but you know, kind of pivoting on that, like breaking up the bundling, um, canonical is uh, they're starting to talk about an IPO, and that's that's interesting. But breaking up the bundling, they're dropping a lot of the the dead weight. So I think in one of the the previous shows we never got around to talking it about it, but they uh, they killed off their phone business, they killed off their TV business, um, they dropped their replacement for the windowing stuff and now they're just focusing on you know private cloud public cloud OpenStack, kubernetes you know operating system they're they're trying to get more traditional
0: yeah you know this is this is this is my uh my totally self-serving ongoing theory is that unless you're apple the real money's an infrastructure software and facebook i guess but like man that, that it is uh yeah it's it's swaying back to that uh that totally and i think i don't know i mean do y'all, do y'all remember any other time that canonicals talked about ipoing i guess in the articles i read there was something but like it's never uh you know i i used to have meetings with them when i was at dell every now and then and they were never really stuck in my head as someone who was interested in ipoing which maybe was just right a,
1: right a weird i mean their their ceo left and uh, Shuttleworth is now back in charge, and, and maybe he just, you know, he's decided, like, he's put enough of his own money into it and wants to see if he can get some of it back. Um, but, uh, of course, they they said there's no timeline yet, so. so right. We'll I
2: think that's, like, the, the money quote there, right, is, like, everybody, it's always odd, right, when these companies are talking about going IPO with no time, like, uh, sale points a company here in Austin that's always doing that, and it's just... I don't know if it means their investment bankers have told them to, like, start talking like this because they're trying to talk up the market or if it's just more, you know, wishful thinking. Like, so, you know, what, what is – I don't know. What is the benefit of talking about that there's no timeline for an IPO? It's like I've started a company, Brandon <laughs> Wichert Enterprises. Uh, it's going well. It's going phenomenal. We've had great uh, year-over-year growth, but there's no timeline at this point for going you yeah, IPO. You'll, so you'll, like, you're
0: going to file an S1 when it's appropriate, right? Yeah, That's when appropriate.
2: it's appropriate and we're ready yeah. – We'll do it, but right now we're focused in on just making our customers happy and building the best company we can. So uh, you yep. know, I don't know. It seems odd to me why. And then sure. also too, the CEO departure, like that's obviously a red flag. That does never does that mean like things are going so great that the CEO departed and we're going IPO. It
0: just it doesn't you know it just doesn't work like that. Well, <laughs> well, pulling pulling some stats. So I went and usual read. Uh, speaking of analysts, the 451, uh, one of the four five one write up. So. They say Canonical says they have 700 paying customers for, for support, I guess. And uh, 451 estimated that they had like 95 to 100 million uh, in bookings or something. So, as 451 said, 95 million in gap revenue, which uh, is not mm. about clothing. That's two A's in the middle. Uh, there's a little MBA joke for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, <Yep>. uh, anyhow. <laughs> Uh yeah, and and I think I think anecdotally, and and this is probably one of those things where if if there is any more commentary, there's going to be a lot of commentary about Ubuntu versus Canonical, uh in in the future. But clearly, Ubuntu has has uh, won like the bundled Linux OS sort of market, if you will, whether whether it's in. Uh, whether it's in like, you know, the public cloud or something like it's it's uh, if they, to put it another way, if there's not an end user deciding the OS, it seems like Ubuntu is is the uh, the clear winner. And even when there's a there's an end user deciding the OS and public cloud things, it seems to win out. And then there's uh, I think there's a lot of commentary directly from, uh, you know, Shuttleworth quotes or whatever about uh, people, people be wanting to build those private clouds. So you know, yeah, if, if yeah. OpenStack works out, they got that. And and I guess I guess I mean Marantis exited the market, right? So there's basically yeah. like I think I, what, I think wait wait sh- wait
1: what happened to Marantis?
0: Well, they didn't, there's something where they, didn't they say they? No, uh, we can fact check this, but uh, I think they said they're shutting down their OpenStack business and
1: will no, continue. No, to- no, they're 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 playing both camps. They're they're doing the OpenStack and the uh, Kubernetes. Oh, okay, okay. Right, and so they're the big proponents of the st- uh, stackinettis stuff, mm-hmm. where it's like, wait, which one's on the top? Which one's on the bottom? Who knows? Well, right?
0: I, I am uh, I am shocked that I would be confused by Marani's PR. <laughs> uh, so anyhow,
1: uh, yeah. So so uh, somehow the open stack stuff didn't make the
0: show. So so basically, let's let's say that you've got uh, you've got the aforementioned micro focus, open stack people, and then you have got Red Hat doing OpenStack yeah. and then I guess Canonical doing OpenStack and whatever yeah. it is Morantis is doing. And then,
1: and, and, and Rackspace is still doing it. Uh, mm. I saw, I, man, our show notes are lacking somehow. I saw, um, Dell EMC and Rackspace are partnering on some private cloud stuff. Mm. Hmm. We might have to talk about that, that next show if I can find that link. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so so Canonical, they've got their work cut out for them. Then you know, like, Red Hat's public. You see their numbers. You, you know, you've got that steady growth. Um, it, Canonical feels like it has a much bigger footprint in the cloud, much bigger footprint with developers, yet, you know, if they're talking 95 million million, they're you know, uh, an order of magnitude smaller than, than Red Hat's market. Um, so, you know, but if you straighten that up, it seems like uh, you should be able to capitalize on that somehow.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's probably one of those businesses where, where they're like, uh, man, if those Docker people are making it, what's wrong with us? Like why, why are people not appreciating what we do? Cause we have like huge footprint and things like that. But I think, I think as always, like if, if there's one other than the halo effect, if there's one uh, theory of, of the software defined P- talk podcast, it's that, figure out how to charge people money that's that's the yes. core the core strategy for business and you know or
1: yeah or get into that enterprise game because that's where the money
0: is yeah i mean 95 million dollars of gaf estimated revenue that's that's nothing to uh, to stink at you know it's kind of it goes back to the the <laughs> like red hat reminder that- They've, they've. You know, been... Plenty
1: of companies have gone public with less than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so that's good, and I'm sure if their growth is good, I mean, you could, uh, you could dust that up and have it like uh, look, look better than sticking like a dog's face on a teenager. I mean, that's uh, maybe not better, but a shade of it at least. So, <laughs> so, sure? you're,
1: so, so, you're long on Snap. That's what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, as they say in other podcasts, real time follow up. I guess Morantis is still in stack I don't know why I have that in my head. The new platform, of the vendors, right? this, speaking of, speaking of cheap, uh, industry analysts, this article from tech crunch says the new platform allows users to deploy multiple Kubernetes clusters side-by-side with OpenStack, And then they have an M dash or separately.
1: So there you go. Speaking of DevOps, <laughs> did you see the, uh, the press release for cyber by buying conjure, man, they like the DevOps. I know. Uh, it was 19 times in the press release. Yeah. Um, they probably use that word more than CyberArk or Conjure.
0: So, so Brandon, so, this is your moment. What, this is your moment. What is CyberArk?
2: Well, CyberArk is the leader, um, so they say, is uh, privileged access management. So, you know, if you have um, a lot of administrators, they need to have uh, root access or privileged access to lots of different machines, they and you want to make sure you're watching what they do, and making sure you manage those credentials. So CyberArk's been doing fairly well in that business for a while, um, and then of course, you know, as <laughs> as they've clearly uh, told us in their press release 19 times that they feel like uh, DevOps is the growth uh, area uh, for privileged uh, access management, which makes sense. But I, this kind of takes me back to like my uh, my long still. Um, long-held opinion right that you know security just nobody cares right the fact that like this is something that you would hope if if people really cared about this would just kind of be built into these platforms right like storing secrets and you know like it shouldn't Mm. be it's it's kind of like the old thing about like you know any type of management software just means a bunch of features that the core company just didn't feel like building right and so this is one of those where i was like well you know we just we're busy with all our other stuff in our various DevOps tools um, we're not going to deal with any type of security stuff somebody could add that later or they could charge you know in their uh, open core premium version they can add to that so you know on one hand I guess it's it's a logical move on the other hand to really solve this problem as you would expect, all of these various platforms um, to just provide a way to store secrets and retrieve secrets, and not have it be such a surprise to everyone that's like, oh, I have, I have some you know API keys. That I, I, where am I going to put that, right? And, uh, and of course, there's lots of jokes about them showing up in GitHub and various other places that become public. Um, but I know. But this kind of comes back to and this, you know, the other news this week, kind of off topic was like the wanna cry um virus, right? Is sort of making the rounds and it, and it kinda comes back to that same statement is like, you know, at the end of the day people just people just don't care, right? They just do not want to take and make the effort to like, you know, really put um effort in around security. Which I guess I've sort of, you know, I guess you kinda I get it. It's complicated. It annoys people. Um so we just kinda live with these, you know, if you will, band aid approaches.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean the it it's the uh you know, balloon debt that <laughs> just comes in on you later. It'd be like, well, yeah, if we patch this, it might break the app. So we'll just keep kicking that can down the road. And like now, now I think last count was like two hundred thousand businesses worldwide, or something like that, are are, yeah. Uh, yeah. are up to date. There's a there's a Twitter bot that um, is watching real time payments. As people pay to get their stuff online. <laughs>
2: to get their, uh, their stuff back. Yeah, no, so it's it's interesting, but I think this, will, like, so much of the news today, I think this makes the news cycle for another 48 hours, and then it just goes away, right? Like, no one's going to be like, well, you know what? I should really, you know what I'm going to do is download a password manager. I've decided that today's the day. Like, no one's going to download that, right, and do it because of this. So, but I do think it's interesting, and I don't know, Matt, right? I'd love to get your opinion, like, why, like, you know everyone in the development community, I feel like everyone is building another monitoring tool. Like every day, another monitoring tool gets built. I'm always like, but like, what about the secrets? Like it does seem like it annoys developers um, to some degree, right? Like having to manage all these various things. Like, why does that, I would never expect it to be as annoying as monitoring, but I'm surprised more companies, cause this is one of those things developers have to do all the time. Like why they don't build them in to kind of the core platforms faster. Um, I'm, not, I'm just not sure why. Because it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but the monitoring tool, I guess it is. Maybe that's just my. I mean, monitoring never shows up the on a dashboard. Yeah, that's the up on a dashboard. dashboard.
1: Yeah, true. It doesn't have a dashboard.
0: That's true. There is no <laughs> dashboard. There's no pretty picture.
1: Like, whoa! Look how many times we access those credentials. No, oh, that's boring.
0: <laughs> well, well let, let 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 me ask. This. I mean, this is this is something that, as as always, I'm a bit of a. Uh, I don't even know what's less than a dilettante, maybe moron, uh, but like uh like isn't isn't this stuff like built into every single operating system like like passing out passwords and things like that or like like what i I mean i mean maybe this is i'm playing the role of the dumb like you know javascript developer here who forgot to do security but like like it's sort of like i remember when i went back and read about like snmp and mibs one of my favorite i'm an old person topics and it was sort of like oh I'm glad we've reinvented this thing fifty times to brandon's point, right like maybe yep. maybe like maybe if we'd spent all that effort making u d p more reliable, then we would have saved billions of dollars and blah 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 uh which I guess maybe would have damaged my personal uh finances and career, but that's fine and and it seems like like i mean isn't aren't there like r f c specs about how to do all this stuff and then it's just like built into everything like, to, <laughs> let let me ask you another oh. an, and and task it another way it's sort of like pretty much anything you want to do with data you can go to oracle for it just means do you want to pay that much for it right like they they got you covered it just may be really expensive and like is that the dynamics of like pam or whatever this is or is it more that like technologically actually these are things that like don't exist in a standardized way i, I don't know it just seems weird that it's not built in that that you wouldn't just like hook up to your windows or linux server and it would just know this stuff
2: (laughs) well the short answer i think is like no it's not built in there are lots of you know and then you kind of dividing the two out right there's you know i i do understand privilege access management why people don't you know if you're an administrator and, you know your your day to day, you're logging into these different machines. Which of course, uh, as JJ would say, right, probably
0: shouldn't be doing that, right? No. That's
2: probably rule one. Like we shouldn't be doing that. But I, I, I love how that's of, uh... that's
0: that's like your sticky trigger issue is is JJ <laughs> yeah. on SSH? Brandon's yeah,
2: number JJ one beef. Say, I'm just saying, JJ. I know JJ would say we shouldn't do it, but there's lots of people that want to do it. And then you know, <laughs> someone's like, there's usually like an auditor or somebody who's like, holy shit, like what are you doing? We got to find. I need to know was in that tool or if someone does something bad like they just want to you know the employee? so that's where these tools pop up but they are when they get in the workflow of the administrator they find you know again these are the people that have control the, of the of the key machines so they're always finding work around so you're kind of always at war with a very smart group right they're like yeah okay yeah we'll use that tool and as they quietly create their own ssh keys or some other backdoor in right so right. that one i get like it's like okay you shouldn't be in there. If you're going to go in there going this way, but that annoys you. And probably your boss is, wants to keep you around. And it's like, you're probably good at your job. And he's like, fine, just get it done, right? So there's a lot of like, look the other way, right? So there's that issue. And then, but now on the, you know, the quote DevOps side or whatever, you know, as we, you know, if we're following the rules, right? I'm like, hey, you know, really, you should be provisioning these servers. And, you know, if you, and when you need to like these secrets, right, you would hope are just built right in. It's like, yeah, you need the AP. API keys, right? Well, that should just be a core part part of the platforms of these various you know, tools that we all know about. But nobody, I don't know, I just don't. It's just yeah. one of those things. I think right. Matt Ray answered the question. Like they're just like, hey, it's not a sexy problem. Figure something out, and then this is where like lots of people have homegrown solutions, right? All right, um, let, let, well, let let me yeah. let me
0: trot out one more one more uh, Ashok's dumb coté theory, which is is this one of those things where if you used a hundred percent Microsoft stack, it would be taken care of, which is to say. This is no. this is this is a this is an issue that comes up from heterogeneous IT.
1: No, I, I think this is somebody got something working and kept moving on to other problems to solve, mm. and this technical debt s- sat there. And people change jobs, this stuff stays there. It's working, don't touch it. I mean, you see it everywhere. It, it has not. I mean, it, yes, <clears throat> if. If you did everything the right way and you used, you know, a ven- you know, a single vendor stack, they probably would cover this. But it's just one of those things. Like, it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's always a low priority, and it just gets pushed to the backlog. And, you know, that's how so much of, of you know, operation stuff is. It's like you know the you know, uh, you know, every ops guy out there knows that there are there's stuff that they wish they had time to fix but it's just sitting there, festering, rotting, and, oh, change jobs, somebody else's problem now, right? And so they sit there, and then here we are in 2017, and people are running Windows XP, which, you know, good Lord, that's, you know, it's older than my kids. And, you know, and here we are, and, and they're having to pay Bitcoin ransomware. I mean, what kind of crazy world are we living mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: So, so j- just to close it out, let me, let me summarize this so I, I, I can get a little smarter thanks to to you two. So, privileged access management is basically like I am I am a user, a sysadmin, or a process that needs to have high level uh, access, like root, to do my job to do something, uh, and and other than either keeping uh, a post it note which I pass around the office putting the password in plain text in a, in some bash script or doing, remember that picture uh, of they had a webcam of a bunch of RSA keys, like duct tape to a piece of cardboard. <laughs> so other, other than doing those three solutions, I have some system that essentially uh, either passes out the credentials or authorizes on my behalf, kind of like OAuth or something so that I can go do my uh, sysadmini kind of magic or a process can run. So, is, right. is, and and then, and then, so second part, of of the summary is uh because of the nature of that one being boring and two kind of like crossing over all types of os's and stacks there's not really a standardized way of doing that that's built into the fabric of infrastructure so therefore there's a bunch of vendors and maybe open source thing here and there that are like standalone products to do it
2: i think that's a good summary I, or you can even just ask this one simple use case it's just like hey i'm a developer I have this secret API key that Mm. I need to use, right? And so if you just ask a developer today, like, okay, where are you going to store it? You'll probably get 50 answers, right? And they all have a different way to do it. And there's not like some, well, of course, I know I have API keys and I know exactly how to store secrets, right? And they're just, usually they come up with some of their own solutions. Maybe those are products or maybe they're, so those are the two issues. Um, And I think, you know, just to wrap this whole topic up, it's sort of, I would put the analogy kind of very similar to, like, credit cards and payments today. It's like, if you've actually used Apple Pay, haven't used Android Pay, but I think it's probably the same, it's it's very good, actually. When you go up, yeah. if someone's implemented it, it's very fast, it's very secure, it's just a great experience. But most places either haven't implemented it or most users or customers don't have it. And, you know, it's just solutions exist, but, you know, kind of like nobody cares. It's just like, we, I got other things to do. And I think that's yeah. where... Um, you know, this privileged identity and, and DevOps management lies. It's like, well, we just have other stuff to do, right? And so when something bad happens, like as we're seeing now with, the, you know, the WannaCry, um, you know, incident, it's like, okay, a bunch of people have to pay $300, but, you know, it's not going to change. This is not the event that will change behavior. I don't know what that will be, but you know, that's what you always wonder.
0: I'm just thankful that we won't have uh, Heartbleed mentioned as as a reason to go buy a vendor. <laughs> I was walking around the hall, the the expo thing of OSCON, and I swear to Christ, I like overheard someone saying Heartbleed, and I, and I think I must have rolled my eyes. But now we got this new thing, so uh, that's great. We can coast uh, off of that for five years. Not to uh, cry, baby. So uh yeah. as 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 always, there's lots of things we've skipped over. There's uh there's there's some links to the my talks and, and other ones at uh, DevOps Days Austin. Kelsey Hightower, ge- Hightower gave a uh, a very, I don't know, normal human talk that uh that's worth looking at. That's good to look at. Yeah. It, and and he manages to even end in a DevOps piece of advice which uh, he's, he's quite the skillful uh, person, obviously. There's, there's some interesting open source news, but if you go to software-defined talk slash 94, you can see all those extensive show notes. And before we get to recommendations, there's just a few mid-rolly things, uh, I think mostly dominated by me. So one, uh, well, I don't know if this is me, Bridget was kind enough to kick out a uh, 20% off registration code for DevOps Days MSP, which if I was smart, I would have put the dates for it in this little thing here. I think it's in July, maybe June, you should check it out. Anyways, if you use the code SDT, you can twenty percent. You can get twenty percent off, and uh, you know that's a that's a really good show. I was looking over uh, some of the stuff for it earlier today. It's going to be real hootenanny. Uh and the Pivotal booth will be there. You can go talk to them, get some uh, rockets and stuff. Also, we have the uh, the CF Summit coming up. The Cloud Foundry Summit coming up June thirteenth and fifteenth. Now that'll be all about the the meatware and the software side. Maybe there's some hardware if you go talk to the GE people of the uh, of cloud native stuff. Hearing about how companies are transforming themselves, how how they're uh, doing all that stuff that Donnie's going to be working on over there at the uh, the travel group and and uh, and all that. Uh, and you can get twenty percent off if you use the code CFSV17COTE. That's Cloud Foundry, Silicon Valley, the last two digits of the current year, and my last name, Cote. And I think that's really, uh, I mean, if, if you're into all that kind of stuff, it's it's definitely worth going to. It's very information rich. And then finally, if you're in Chicago, I was going to go look at the numbers to see if anyone in Chicago listens to this. On May 30th and 31st, if you do anything related to development or you care about microservices or Java, you should go to Spring Days. Uh, up there in Chicago. And you you normally it's two hundred dollars to go, but if you use the code Spring Days underscore half off, uh you'll get a hundred dollars off. You can imagine what the code means. But you should check that out. Go to springdays.io and uh and then what do we have next week, Matt Ray here in Austin?
1: Woohoo ChefConf. Yes. I will be in Austin uh next week. And uh, uh, you know, Chef Conf is uh the Hoot of the year.
0: Yeah, I actually related to that uh, did, did I just cut you off there, Matt Ray?
1: No, nah, I'm good. Okay.
0: I, I I was at uh, OSCON, as I mentioned last week, and, and Alex and Judy and uh, uh you know the whole team were there from the new stack. And we went and did a, a video ahead of time in preparation for ChefConf. They were covering food. And so we went to uh, eat at Cooper's. Hopefully, we'll have that video up. Cooper's on Congress. And you can see me and Barton George giving our analysis of why you should go to Cooper's. Uh, and but then it's going
1: to be very good food. And then I
0: think I think between the uh, the five of us, we ate probably like two hundred dollars worth of barbecue. It was awesome, uh, and some sides. Uh, but yeah, you should go to, go get Coopers. I think if you're downtown, that's the best place to go get barbecue at the moment. So uh, so with that recom- pre recommendation recommendation. What do you recommend for us this week, Brandon? Well, one, just coming off the food thing, I think, Kote, this is a favorite of yours,
2: but uh, yesterday was Mother's Day uh, here in the U.S., and uh, I actually took my wife to the Noble Sandwich for mm. breakfast. One, I, I... several things I want to recommend here. One, whole place is great. Two, it's great to go on a Mother's Day because it was empty. Like it was, It's very inexpensive, and the food is excellent, so... Uh, and then on the weekends, they have this crazy breakfast uh, situation. They have uh, most everything has a ton of meat in it. so uh, if you enjoy uh, if you just enjoy like fried food, uh, breakfast, like big breakfast kind of Saturday Sunday thing, check out the noble sandwich um, over here on Burnett in Austin. And then the other thing I was gonna recommend was, uh, Freakonomics episode. Uh, it's uh, you know something I think we can all under, uh, relate to. Why the title of it is uh, Why is my life so hard? Uh, so it's a good interview with a couple of economists that introduced me to this concept of uh, headwinds and tailwinds, and uh, the insight they provide is is kind of obvious but still pretty relevant. That uh, just as human beings, we are very uh, aware of the headwinds, the challenges that we face every day, mm. and um, you know that we have to overcome. But we are not so uh, um, aware of the tailwinds, the things maybe helping us push us along. Uh, so I think it's you know, kind of related to the halo effect in some way. But like Matt Ray was saying earlier today, and they they have many examples of this about like usually every like group or discipline. Um, believes like they have it hardest so like if you go ask like the sales team like you know who has it harder like you the sales team or development right the sales team would be like oh we have it so much harder and if you ask development or engineering they would be like oh we our jobs are so much harder and so they did a bunch of different studies that people are tend to think they face or in sports teams too they tend to believe that their sports teams have more challenges than other <laughs> sports teams uh, yeah. so it's cool it's just a cool concept of something to think about maybe if you're feeling a little overwhelmed or that you personally have like you know too many challenges that you probably also have some tailwinds that are helping you out and sometimes just thinking about a few for a few minutes can help uh, calm you down or make you feel better so it's a good uh, it's a good listen so check out uh the economics episode why is my life so hard i I
0: like i like this theory of economics that's emerged over the past since i've been paying attention and i guess it's uh what do they call it social economics or behavioral economics but it it's sort of like to use the old metaphor of a a insert x company or a software company that happens to sell insert x it's sort of like a uh a uh how people make decisions uh company uh, how people make decisions discipline that happens to study money Like it's, it's interesting that, uh, I don't know. It's fun to see how people, uh, analyze stuff from an economic point of view. I remember I, you know, our friend, our friend, uh, Charlie Wood, or at least mine. I don't know why I always say our friend. I don't know. He, He was, he was the CEO of Spanning Sync, if you remember them, and, uh, He went to go get an economics degree and man, he was dissuading me from doing that pretty hardcore. It seems like like it'd be interesting. It really
1: is dismal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really?
2: Wow. Well, I think the behavioral economics is in some ways, you know, they don't talk about it as much, but like it's so related to adoption and marketing of anything, right? That's the part that I think is very interesting for anyone that is either part of your job or part of just your interest. Like why do people ultimately buy the things you know, or make the choices that they make. So if you're involved in selling anything, right, it's good to, you know, because if you go in with a naive approach, like, well, I just have, the, I have the best product and I have the, you know, it's, of course people are going to like it because it's the best. It's like, yeah, that's pretty much 100% not how human beings work. So um, being aware of those things, I think definitely helps you in your per- probably your personal life and your professional life, um, just to understand that human beings are complicated uh, creatures that pretty much don't act Logically, So, you know, just knowing yeah. that maybe is like, you know, 50% of an economics degree is just that one
0: statement. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Spe- speaking of uh, how people behave, what are your recommendations this week, Matt Ray?
1: Oh, wow. What, what a segue. Um, so I think my, my current favorite show uh, is uh, called Catastrophe. If uh, It's a BBC based, I guess, but it, Amazon and uh, I think Netflix uh, both picked it up. Um, it's uh, Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan who are uh, both very entertaining on Twitter, but it's just about this uh, couple that you know they get together and uh, through in, you know inauspicious circumstances and raise a family, and it's just uh, you know it's all the like real stuff that families go through, and you know the way they <laughs> talk about uh, their families and their kids, and uh, it's it's. Brutal. It's funny. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, it's up there with Veep on the language scale. So, mm. it's, um, <laughs> it's not, not something, not, not something you want to watch with your parents, probably. That's true. Um, I, I've, but, I've but, seen,
0: a, I've seen a few episodes of those. And one, uh, yeah, everything Matt Ray said. Two, it's, it's sort of like I enjoy how much problems flare up and they immediately resolve. It's very inspiring for people who are, who are married. <laughs> uh, and, and then three. I always like to celebrate a very hair suit person uh, in a show who who is allowed to take his shirt off from time to time and uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and show what's going on. He basically now it would still be nice to have uh, those of us who do not work out and have a good physique highly represented, but whatever, I'll, I'll take what I can get. And uh, but he's he's got that uh, that constant five o'clock shadow look and
1: uh, and uh, um, born well. with a shirt. <laughs> you should definitely watch more season 3 then. Uh so that that's my uh my pick and uh yeah, good stuff.
0: Yeah. So, uh my I, I have two quick things. One of them is a real recommendation. The other one we haven't talked about Costco in a while. So, I was thinking I'd put something in. So, uh last week, uh it was my wife's uh quarterly schedule to realize how terrible photo management in the Apple ecosystem is. And by Apple ecosystem, I mean photos or iPhoto and it's just, you know, downright awful. There's a, uh, I forget which podcast it was, but I ranted about that uh, in some podcast recently. Uh, And it's just, I don't know what, I don't know what their problem is. Anyhow, uh, we started using, I started looking into Google Photos because everyone told me to use that. And I guess there's the whole like uh, privacy concerns or something. It seemed fine. And uh, there's also not a desktop UI for it, which is takes a little bit of getting used to, but it basically does pretty much everything you would think photo management would do. You have unlimited free space for your 25 megadoodles and below. And uh, if you're doing anything above a 1080p video, well, then congratulations. But you're going to have to pay for that too. Uh, But it automatically uploads everything from your phone or your uh, your desktop. And I've only got 180,000 more photos to upload, so I should be done by the end of the week. Uh, But, you know, it also goes through and creates all these things for you. It's really fun. I like it. So I think I think that might solve all our problems until Google decides to shut it down uh, one day. Uh, but that'll be good. Um, but the other thing I want to say is, uh, uh, you know, you get you get those big packs of chicken breasts. You know, I'm sure you all know, right? You get uh, what's what's six by two. You get twelve chicken breasts uh, attached in that ungangly uh, three on one side, three on the other pack. And not, I can think organic and unorganic is the same thing. Uh, well, first of all, here's a tip. You should slice those up before you freeze them. Much easier to cut them up. Second, when you're cooking them, what you should do, uh, if you want to brine them, that's fine. But i found that if you, slight, if you butterfly them, so you slice them in half, they're much easier to cook. It's very hard to cook a good chicken breast uh, a whole on its own because it's very uneven and chicken cooks weird. But if you butterfly it, you don't have to do, like, a Milanese, like, pounding or whatever. But uh, it's pretty easy to cook. You just cook it, like, uh, six minutes on each side. I recommend. I'm no foodologist. So, you know, whatever. Don't sue me. But, like, I cook it generally to, like, 150 or 155 and then let it go to the, uh, uh, is it the FCC or FDA? Recommended uh, 165 on a plate. And then that's delicious. But as packages always unhelpfully say, please do not overcook. So, with that as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find this episode and the extensive show notes for it over at softwaredefinedtalk.com. This episode will be at Slash 94 If you haven't already subscribed to this in in uh, both the the uh, podcast app and Overcast and any other machines you have around, go get your children's devices and subscribe in there. You should really subscribe to the podcast of this so it automatically gets downloaded you can go in and write a uh, a review in iTunes. I've been told that that's very difficult to do, so I appreciate the people who have done it. I think we got a new review uh, recently. And as always, in Overcast, we appreciate our chip friend for always uh, recommending them. Someone came up to me at DevOps Days Austin and was like, you keep saying you don't understand how Stars and Overcast work. So let me tell <laughs> you, it's like, whoa, let me stop you just there. I, I, it's a bit, I understand how they work. But anyways, I, I appreciate the sentiment. Anyways, you can also star us and Overcast or whatever, And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.